When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey everyone and welcome back to Power Hour, the Athletics Tuesday National College Football Podcast, hosted by yours truly, Nicole Auerbach, and I am joined by my friend and colleague from Stadium, Michael Felder, as we break down the biggest storylines in college football in an hour or less. And uh, Felder, it is it is game week. It is a real live game week. We are in week one. I my, my email inbox is overflowing with depth charts. It's great. It feels great. Yeah, I know. I'm listen. I'm, I had a game week last week. Now we've got a super game week this week. I think I was doing the math. There's like 80 games or something. Like there's. A lot of football games. A lot of uh, nights of games in a row. We have yeah, what? Wednesday, five? Thursday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, month, six in a row. Six in a row. Six in a row. So we got a lot of football games being played. It's going to be really interesting. I'm, listen, there's a lot of stuff to talk about. Um, I think we, I guess, where, where do you want to start? You want to start with, you know, elevator up, elevator down? Like Yeah. Te- so, so explain where this comes from because I love this origin story. So I have a three-year-old, and we do story time with the library uh, virtually. And but they have a we used to do it in person. But we have they have a song that goes where this well the city is great and the city is grand. There's a lot of tall buildings on a little piece of land, and we live way up on the 37th floor. And this is what we do when we walk out the door. You take the elevator up, you take the elevator down. You take the elevator up, you take the elevator down, and then you turn around. And literally, I think the turnaround part is what really started for me because. The end of the season kind of feels like a turnaround. So we're going to figure out which teams do we think are going to take the elevator up and who's going to take the elevator down. And in some respects, probably with like Bama, who we've talked about a ton, and Clemson, who we've talked about a ton, even Oklahoma, who we've talked about a ton, they're probably not going to get on that elevator. I think they're just going to get their fresh direct right to the door, and they don't have to take the elevator up or down. They're just going to stay in the penthouse. Right. So um, I was kind of hoping you were going to like sing song the, the little <laughs> rhyme, but, but I got the gist. So I mean, I, you want me to? I can. I can listen. Yes, I we, would. We, we, the city is great and the city is grand. There's a lot of tall buildings on a little piece of land, and we live way up on the 37th floor. And this is what we do when we walk out the door. We take the elevator up, and that's when you pick your kid up. Take the elevator up. Take the elevator down. We take the elevator up. We take the elevator down. Take the elevator up. We take the elevator down. Then we turn around. There you go. Thank you. I need that. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Okay, so let's start with uh, the teams that we think are just going to stay in the penthouse. Sure. Yeah, I mean, we we, Clemson, Bama, Oklahoma. I don't think we're going to see massive drop-off from them. I think Ohio State. um, I think Ohio State is being forced into that group when we have a lot of uncertainty of what's going to actually happen at the quarterback spot, although everybody's super confident about C.J. Stroud, who I believe has been named the starter, correct? Yes. So people are con- – so I think they're people, – People are high on him ever yeah. since the Elite 11 days. I, right. I, I think we could put them in that group. I don't – Yeah, I, 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 what I was going to say is I think that's an elevator up situation to me. It's mm. not – they're not going far. This, this, they're the people that you hate that take the elevator up one floor – but it's still taking the elevator to go up a little bit. You could have t- taken the stairs, but it doesn't matter. Okay, well, then shouldn't we put Oklahoma in that boat, too? If they are – we're talking – this is a macro standpoint, program standpoint. They still haven't won a game in the playoff. They can win a game in the playoff this year. Yeah, so you know what? So that's, they, that's a floor. Take, go up a floor. I like it. No, we're, we're on the same page there. I think Georgia's an interesting case because they feel like a team that people are, again, pushing into that group, but also – they do want to take the elevator up. <laughs> yeah, so. I think I think they're an elevator up team. Again, I, I think we're talking. We're already in the high rises. We're in the high rise floors. Already got a beautiful yeah. view of the city. 
Yeah. But you're just you, trying, it, to, trying to go all the way li- up. You're living in the penthouse and like there's just, there's somebody that lives above you and you do want to have the rooftop deck. That's yeah. what it is. You want and, the rooftop deck. Yeah. So, I, I mean, again, I, I just think, you know, the teams that are regularly winning national championships, they're still going to be in the mix. They get, they got the rooftop deck. They're good. Yeah. They got their spots for their trophies. Um, all right, let's, let's go through other ones who elevator up. Oh, um, you know, this is going to be a little bit of a wild card, but uh, the Naval Academy. Mm, okay. I mean, this is, this is a team that went from winning, what, they went 10 or 11 games in, 28, in 2019, and then they won three games a season ago. So I, I, I got to think that they're, they're, they're moving up, right? They're going from the basement. At least they're going to get into those middle floors. Like, no, nah, it sucks. You got somebody that lives above you and below you, but you're at least going to move up a little bit. I think they're one that we haven't talked a ton about, and I don't think a lot of folks talk about them a ton, but certainly I think that they're going to be a lot better this year than they were a season ago, and they're going to be able to handle that. Um, another up one for me is Louisville. I think Louisville's going to move up. They, they're a team that, in reading the way that they talked about COVID, it was a little different than a lot of other teams because a lot of other teams saw it as like this impediment because like our guy couldn't play or this couldn't happen. And Louisville talked about it, and this is something that is very Satterfield-based, but Louisville talked about it as like disrupting their family and disrupting that fit familial atmosphere that they had. And I think that getting back to that togetherness that Satterfield brought from Appalachian State to Louisville uh, and instead of the business-like approach that Petrino had, I think that that family-style approach is going to be – I think it's going to pay dividends for them. I think they're going to they're gonna steal some more wins. Yeah, and they were, they were ones – like that their lack of success last year was, was surprising um, because I think yeah. they, they were ahead of schedule under Satterfield, and, and then they took that step back. Um, you know, one team I, – I think it's easy to look at the teams that – that had really tough 2020s for, for a variety yeah. of reasons and, and look at them to take the elevator up. So I think LSU is one where, yeah. you know, things couldn't have gone worse and, and they couldn't Big have game lost this more week. players. And they've got, exactly. And it, against the UCLA team looked good in the opener. Um, you know, it's, it, people are going to watch that game. People are going to pay attention mm-hmm. and, you know, could be, could be a big statement win and to get a win on the road. Um, I, I just think that's a program, obviously, you know, Ed Ogeron is is under some serious pressure there. You know, doesn't want to be, um, you know, just the one flash in the plan pan. Only have yeah. Joe Burrow and and all those guys, and that's the only way they're able to win. So I'm really curious to see what they look like this year. But mm-hmm. I think they could be an elevator up team just because you can't really go new, down much more. New defensive coordinator. Um, they're going to try to you know make things work for the players. I think that's going to be interesting to see how it works. Uh, yeah, I think they've got they're, they, I, I have a really as far like and I'll just stick in the SEC West. It's very interesting to me elevator up versus elevator down because we'll get to see Haynes King, who's like a mm-hmm. Texas. He's a he's a legend already. Like he's in this. He's cut from the same Kyler Murray cloth in terms of like the hype surrounding him going to college. And so we'll get to see him. And and m they need to be an elevator up program, right? Like we've been waiting. Is, we've been waiting for them to be an elevator up program the last few years, right? And then they lose like yeah. three games. That's the problem. I, I talked to one of your colleagues, uh, uh, Matt Fortuna, when we did our Campus Insiders together, and I was like, "What have What does A and M won?" And he was like, "Well, they beat UNC." And I was like, "You don't get paid seventy five million dollars to beat UNC. UNC sucks. <laughs> like, like as a pro, like over the history of the program, that's not a win you hang your hat on. <laughs> you you." You hang your hat on beating Alabama. <laughs> like, that's the thing that they hired you to do. So, I um, honestly, for this year, I do think that AM, I think they finished second in the SEC West. So, is that, that's a, that's a, I, a small trip, a short trip, right? That, yeah, I think so. And I think that that's a successful season. It, it, you're, you're right, though, that that division, it's, it's extremely hard to figure out what, what constitutes success and what people are going to be happy with because it's, you know, you got to, got to throw regular people's expectations out of the, out of the realm of possibilities. So I, I, I'm with you, but A&M speaks to me sort of like, um, there, there's a bunch of teams. They're, they're all ranked near each other in the, in the yeah. preseason polls. They're it's also like, all ranked near each other in the recruiting rankings. Right. And so, you know, you're, you're trying to figure, you're trying to figure things out of, of who, 
who's going to live up to those recruiting rankings, right? We always mm-hmm. see those charts of, of, you know, the expectation versus, like, yep. the production you get from players like that. Um, so, like, and then and then to throw in, like, let's go. So you, you, met, you brought up North Carolina. I don't know. Is this a team? Obviously, yes, it could, it could take the elevator up. But do they almost have too much hype that they're already as starting at a higher floor? Like, That's and the a, only way da- is down. They got a great deal on a sweet, sweet spot. And it was, it was probably a foreclosure. <laughs> and they, they got in there. And the problem for them is going to be taking it up means getting to the playoff, right? Because this is a team that went to the Orange Bowl a season ago. Uh, so I think that they are they're in a rough spot. I think Iowa State and UNC are the two teams in maybe the toughest spots in college football entering this season because they're both in the top 10. They're both teams that, and I mean no disrespect to UNC or to Iowa State, they're both teams that don't belong in the top 10, but they found their way there. So if they lose two games as a top 10 team, when you lose two games, that is disappointing. That's that's what I'm saying. Like, Iowa State's coming off the best season in program history. Yeah, it's rough. If you lose two games, are insane. If you if you don't do something that's better than that, isn't it a disappointment? Right, and that's that's so like in theory, like they're gonna they're gonna take the elevator to where they belong is what it kind of feels like. Which that's not a knock on anything, and I think that you can be upwardly mobile in this sport. It's just really really hard, which is why we did that whole for better or for worse series. But the reality, to me at least, is. For these teams to win 10 games, to, if you go 10-2, and two, that's a great year. In Ames, it's a great year in Chapel Hill. Two amazing years. If you get to the Big 12 Championship game, will be what, for the second year in a row? And then you get to the ACC Championship game? Those are great achievements. You should be happy and thrilled about it. But the way that the sport has trended, the way that the sport has moved, it's going to feel like a disappointment when you look at them starting out in the top 10 within striking distance of trying to get to the playoff. And that's frustrating because, listen, when I played football at UNC, over the course of four years, we won two, six, that's eight, three is 11, and I think four games in the year that Coach Bunning got fired. So we won 15 games in four years. If you can win 10 games in a season, that's amazing. But people are going to be frustrated about it because – well, I thought we had a chance to go to the playoff, and I think that's kind of the reality of what we're dealing with, right? Right, and and that's why, you know, we've had all these conversations all off season about why, for the sports health, does this thing need to expand in, in general? It's it's so that that's not the only marker of success, or if it is the marker of success, more teams achieve it on an annual basis because sure. or of people can just reasons. like football. Or people can just like football, as we <laughs> often discuss. So, so okay, so how about, I know you're talking about kind of this top 10 expectation, but yeah. I think this extends even to someone like Indiana. And, and yeah. I'll say, before last season, I did a big story on, you know, Tom Allen and what, what people were expecting from Indiana, how close they were and how they really hadn't, you know, they'd had that, that crushing bowl loss to Tennessee and they were like mm-hmm. this close to, to, to taking that step. And then obviously they did that last year. But one of the things I came away from that story is I talked to some Indiana football fans about was that they were like the best fans. They totally understood who they were. They were never going to get too high. They were talking about how some of their, their prior to last season, their favorite Indiana football moments were moments where they were almost about to beat somebody and it was like a crushing loss. But it was just mm-hmm. this understanding of where they were in the football pecking order and the hope that they had that, that they could break through at some point. But now it's like, well, what, you know, did that shift? Like, or did this fan base appreciate last year and understand that you're not always going to have years where you beat Michigan and Penn State? Or now do they think, oh, we're going to beat Ohio State, right? Like, it's, it's sort of like what right. happens? We, again, it's like that Iowa State question. After the best season in a long, long time, does it shift, you know, where you are in this building? Like, are, are you higher yeah. than you should be? Well, I, I think it's... When I think about Indiana, and this is, again, no disrespect to any programs, but I think about Indiana, it's the same conversation I've had a couple times with people about Vanderbilt. Um, Obviously, Purdue went through this two seasons ago, right, where they beat Ohio State, and people are like, oh, my God, they're going to be the hot new flash team. And then it's like, oh, yeah, you don't control really anything. 
And I think control is important in college football. We talked about it when we talked about the alliance, right? Wanting to control who gets a say and who doesn't get a say. But I think control is an overarching theme with respect to college football because the reality of it is, and, and I think Tennessee falls into this boat as well. South Carolina falls into this boat as well. Um, uh, maybe North Carolina State to a certain extent. Same thing with Arizona or Arizona State. But control. And when I say control, what I mean for them is they can't control Ohio State. They can't control Michigan. They can't control Penn State. But if Michigan and Penn State aren't that good, guess what? Your ship can go up a little bit. You got an opportunity to rise. You get a chance to climb. Same thing with Tennessee, right? They don't control Georgia. They don't control Florida. But if Georgia or Florida or Georgia and Florida aren't as good as they could be, then Tennessee we see rise up. Same thing with South Carolina. South Carolina went to an SEC championship game because Georgia and Florida just weren't that good. And control. So there's only a handful of teams that can control what they do in college football. Bama, Texas, Oklahoma, USC. So when they're bad, it is 100% their own fault. Georgia, Florida, um, Clemson is Michigan. Yes, Michigan. Clemson is clawing their way into that territory as well. Um, I think Florida State and Miami are also in that. Miami, not to the same extent as Florida State maybe, but certainly they're all kind of right there on the cusp of, if we're bad, it's on us. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Let's stay on that side of who we're expecting the elevator to go down on. And, and it Ooh. could be this year. It could be already be in a free fall a little bit. Yeah. But where are we seeing? I mean, I, I think... Well, how do you feel about Florida State, up or down? Well, I feel like they have to go up, um, right? Do they have to? From where they are? They could stay there. They got two decent quarterbacks. Yeah, I'm th- and but by the way... That's been such an issue for them, that position. Yeah, well, it, who cares what your quarterback is doing if he's on his back all the time? Well, that's true. <laughs> so we do, we do need to see their O-line. We do need to see yeah. the O-line. If they I'm excited. I'm excited. I mean, McKenzie Milton, we thought they might have to amputate his leg, and he's going to get back to playing football, which is amazing. So that's really cool. So for me, I think that, like, I think a hold is a really good positive for them. Like, it's like that time when you get on the elevator and realize you left your your ear pods in in, in the car, so you have to go, or you left your ear pods in the apartment, so you just, like, you get on and then you get off immediately. Yeah. So I think that that's a good thing for them because it's not getting worse. Uh, to be better for them in terms of what I want to see, I, we want to see better offensive line play. But I do like just show me a little bit of a little bit more discipline too. Like I understand, and this is something that I think Florida State fans, I hope they can appreciate. Florida State used to be one of the most undisciplined teams in the country, based upon penalties consistently whether it was roughing the passer, late hits, hit out of bounds, whatever. But those are mistakes of aggression. And instead of mistakes of aggression, now we're seeing mistakes of like paralysis by analysis, where they're just not sure what to do. So instead of making fast mistakes that you can live with, they're making slow mistakes that really bog things down. So you know what? I'll put them on the elevator up. I'll put them on there. I think that they're going to be like, they're going to be better. They have to be better. You're right. And I, I'm as someone who grew up in the '90s. I'm tired of piling on these guys. I want them to be good because I think I think the state of Florida is better when all three of those teams can rock and roll for you, and that's what I would like to see happen. Not for some of this like nostalgia, not so much for nostalgia, but for the reality of they make each other better, and that's something that I don't know. I've I've been thinking a lot about this and. Pardon me for going off on this weird tangent. I know we're going to talk about some other stuff here soon too, but I'm tired of people talking about Alabama like they're some like huge boogeyman, right? Like they're like they're like some Baba Yaga. Like at the end of the day, they're a football team. What do you have to do? You have to build a football team that can beat this football team. And I think that 
Florida State. I want them to build a football team that can beat other football teams. And the same thing with Miami. And Miami, obviously, what are they, top 15 coming into the season? I want to see – I love what D.R. King's doing off the field. I want to see it on the field too, and I want to see them play. And, like, to me, instead of talking about things like, well, they just are better, so it's hard, and it's a dynasty, and there's nothing you can do about it, let's talk about it like the reality. Like, we have to do this, this, and this to win games. And to go back to the point, the premise of, of what we're talking of this of this exercise, to take the elevator up, I need to see coherent strategy out of Florida State. And they can do that. It just has to be executed. And I think when we talk about USC, it's the same thing. We need to see, and Graham Harrell's going to be thrilled. He's got to love the complement of wide receivers that he has. And I know Brew McCoy, obviously, with the domestic violence incident, he's not involved right now. Or he, he probably isn't going to be involved at all. But they have a group in there with Drake, Jake, uh, oh, good grief, Drake London and Jake Smith. Who's, I was like, I got to get both of these names right. But they got guys, and I think they're going to love Jake Smith because he's a little water bug that can move around. So I think USC is an elevator-up team. I think UCLA can be an elevator-up team. I'm very excited for them to play LSU. Are you excited for that game? Yeah, I think it's going to be one of the most interesting games of the weekend. Um, did you watch them this past weekend? I did. I did. That run was, the ball. Don't throw I it. Know. Just run. Zach Charbonnet looked good. He yes. Looked and so did Britton Brown. They, you, if you have DTR... Britton Brown, Zach Charbonnet, put in 20 personnel, two running backs, no tight end, two running backs, three wide receivers, run the ball, run the wide receivers, run everybody off. Then you have three guys that can run the ball in Charbonnet, Brown, and DTR. Then you just run the ball in a box that's not compromised. Just do that. So let's shift gears into some of these week one games that we're excited about but also just wanted to mention when you were talking about mistakes and the way that Florida State was making mistakes it immediately took my brain to Nebraska and the types of mistakes that Mm. they were making and why that's an obvious team taking the elevator down yeah they already started they already started they're making exactly the same mistakes that they've made for three years and they are dumb penalties and they are like just special teams gaffes and like it's it's totally different kinds of mistakes so I think that's something that's also really interesting when you're watching a program that is struggling is even like what you're saying paralysis by analysis and like moving too slow to react to things is such a different type of mistake than what's happening in Nebraska so anyway that's an elevator down program clearly there's been a lot written and discussed about them so we can move on to Ooh. the week one games that we think are going to be the most interesting. And, and I know that LSU, UCLA, is one of those games for you. Yeah. And I, I think it is going to be really, really interesting, especially to see if, like you said, can UCLA just be like, hey, running the ball works. We should just do that. Yeah. No, I'm excited for that one. Um, I'll, I'll run through my list really quick. Um, I want to see C.J. Shroud. That's an easy one. We've already kind of hit on that. So I just want to see him against Minnesota on Thursday. That's going to be really fun. Um Boise State, UCF, that's another one that's just, I think that's, hey, we're going to get to see Hank Bachmeyer against Dylan Gabriel, and we're going to get to watch that and see how these teams have kind of fleshed things out. And ultimately, with the, like obviously Cincinnati's not playing in that, you can't play a three-team football game, but Cincinnati's not playing. But these two teams are kind of the, in theory at least, the creme de la creme of that G5, and they're the teams that people automatically go to and point to. So watching them score off is going to be interesting because somebody's going to get knocked off. And once you lose this game, do do we do people keep talking about you over the course of the year? Or does this count as a good loss? So we'll see how that works out. Um, Michigan State Northwestern. Um, Michigan State's not going to be good this year. and But I want to see how much better they are than a season ago that just felt like it felt like somebody kicking a can down the street. And oh. Well, I think they're also the last Big Ten team to – tell us who's starting quarterback I think the expectation is probably Peyton Thorne right but we don't know for sure so I mean that's going to be interesting they also hit the transfer portal more than anybody else so just who's playing where I know Fitz had a great quote about how hard it was to pull film (laughs) oh he's oh because he's he's because he's doing the thing that we have to do yeah yeah trying to (laughs) to prep to what they're gonna look like and he's he was talking about I think that some of the GAs uh earned their earned their keep but so so that those are reasons that I'm excited for that one. Um, I you know I think there's a couple other really interesting games in the sure. Big Ten. Iowa, Indiana, like that is mm-hmm. a 
the way Iowa finished the season, the way Indiana's coming off last season, you know, it, it's, it shapes up how we feel about the winner of that game. Yes, absolutely. I totally agree with that. I um, Listen, I go to the Pac-12 for a couple, too, because I, I enjoyed watching Fresno State and San Jose State, and now they're taking on kind of the big boys in theory with Oregon and USC, respectively. And then Louisiana and Texas. Sark's debut. Oh, Louisiana. Like, let me hang on. Let me double check. I think they're ranked. They are. Yeah, they're number 23. So it's 23 taking on 21. And it's one of our less high profile but still ranked matchups. But let's see what Sark is rocking and rolling with because he's got a new quarterback. It's not Sam Ellinger for the first time in, what, 13 years? And we get a chance to watch what he's what he's bringing to the table. I know they're excited about some of their weapons, so let's see that in action. And then we get a chance for, you know, one of those G5 knockoffs. So I'm super excited about it. Like, yeah, those are, for me, those are the kind of the ones that I've got circled. And then obviously I try to, I got to watch as much as I can. But man, this is, it's a good, you know, week zero was a nice like tune up. I don't know how you felt. Long day. They felt long and it was only really like four games. I know. This is going to be the, the first marathon Saturday is one where you yeah. realize, did I hydrate enough? Nope. Yeah. Did I space out my meals well? Yeah. Caffeine. Did I take a nap? And our friend Dan Rubenstein is the king of the coffee nap, usually right around timed for halftime of the 3.30 games, and he'll do a little power nap. And I've done it before, and it works magic. But, like, you got to get all that stuff, even the the, the channel flipping, you know, like got to yeah. get it ready to go. All that stuff takes practice. And week one, week one is hard with some of that stuff. So I, I'm with you. It was like it was kind of a tune-up, but also like mostly basically one game was on at a time. If, yeah. if, if, if it was more than that, it was two. Like it was very manageable. Yep. Um, and so, so as, as we're talking about week one coming and you're going to be watching everything, how many, how many screens do you have up at once? Three. And I also have to be in studio for part of it. So I am going to be doing this move of being in studio, sitting at the desk, but also having my laptop and my iPad watching okay. games and taking notes on games while I'm doing a show. So basically you've done, you do television. You got your IFB in, you're listening to the booth, you got to listen to your co-hosts, I'm going to be watching games, taking notes, responding and talking while I also am doing all this other stuff. So that's going to be my, that's my new in-season move for when I have to be in studio. Uh, Three screens just on the regular, and I try to say, I try to DVR stuff that I know I'm not going to get to, like, I'm not, I'm not going to watch Texas State probably live. So that's a DVR game. You know, but I want to watch them. I just am not going to be able to get to it live. That's all. Okay, so if if I, you know, for, for me generally non non football player, not former player perspective, if I want to watch football on Saturday in a smarter way, give me a couple things. Like, give me a little cheat sheet of what you're looking for, what you actually like, what causes you to take notes. You know, I've made fun of your little note cards, but like, <laughs> what jumps out? Like, what are the things that you're looking for when you decide? someone's impressed you or somebody's having a good game individually as a team like teach me how to be a smarter viewer yeah so this is the thing we talk about on tape don't lie the podcast a lot and every guest i have on we talk about how do you watch football and it's really interesting a lot of people that play on the offensive side of the ball they watch safeties because they want to see safety rotation as someone that played defense i watch Okay, okay, you know what? I'm gonna, I'll walk you through what happens on a, any given play. On a play, the first thing that I do when I get that wide shot that I need, the first thing that I do is count how many people are on the field. Every single play, I count how many people are on the field. That is a, like, a safety thing. It's your job. It's what you're supposed to do. Then I'm looking for who's on and off the line from a wide receiver standpoint and where they are. Are they outside the numbers? Because that means they're coming back inside the numbers. Are they inside the numbers? That means they're going outside the numbers or all the way across the field. Then the next thing that I do as the play starts, I'm looking at guards and running back. I never look at the ball. Don't watch the ball. I never watch the ball. I'm looking at guards and I'm looking at running backs because they're going to take you to where everything is. If I see the running back come up and he's got his chest high, he's getting ready to block, so we've got to pass. Okay, those guys were those guys were outside of the numbers, so they're coming back inside the numbers. Do we have a skinny? Do we have a, a true post? What are we doing? Is he running to the seam to create did he create space wide to run wide so that the tight end can run up the seam? Those are like that's what's going through my head. My wife um 
You, you met my wife. She's, she is mystified sometimes. And I think it, good grief, was this when Charlie Strong was at USF, I think, and they had 13 guys on the field. They had 12 or 13 guys on the field. And before they could get the guys off the field, I was like, there's too many guys. There's too many guys. There's too many guys. She goes, why do you know that? How do you know? And I was like, because. Is, look, you have, it's clusters. That's the way that I count is in clusters. Four, three, four. Four, two, five. And you count in clusters. It's the same thing with punt team. I always count on punt team too. You always have to count how many guys are on the field. And it's just a, it's, it's interesting. It's been interesting doing tape to lie to talk to people in my kind of same world because it's a way of thinking that a lot of people just don't even think about. You know what I mean? Well, it, it reminds me of when you watch basketball as a fan yeah. and you follow the ball. And then when coaches are seeing the whole court yes. where everyone is, it's the same thing. It's the same concept. Yeah. You're seeing the back screen and you're seeing the guy with the, the high ball pick. And then you see the guy roll off of it. But then you see the guy coming around the baseline. So you know you can hit the screener. You can hit the screener on that pick and roll. But he knows he's going to throw it to the next guy. It's like three moves ahead, which is one thing I really love about LeBron James because he's always thinking about basketball that way too. Where it's like, I'm going to hit this guy with this pass, but I need him to hit it to the corner because that's where our open three is going to be. And it's the same thing with football. Like, recognizing... Okay, I'll, I'll, I'll put it this... This is... I'm going to do a very... Like, and we can keep doing this every week of just like one small thing for folks to try. I think that the ones... The smallest thing for folks to try would be high hat, low hat. And so high hat is... it's This is just watching offensive line. If the offensive line is a high hat, we got a pass play because they're pass setting. And if the offensive line is low hat, they're coming off to drive block to move people out of the way. Just high hat, low hat in week one to and see how often you can see it and how often it recognizes, you can recognize run versus pass based upon that. Although I will say this with RPOs and the way that they are um, illegally blocking down the field, it is absolutely criminal. <laughs> All right, we will do one, one thing to watch. Yeah to become better, smarter college football viewers each week. Okay, Felder, it is our last pod before game. Like, again, everybody starts playing. We know a couple teams have started. Yeah. So we are officially going to do predictions. Okay. Um, so let's do picks to win all 10 FBS leagues. I think we're pretty confident that Notre sure. Dame will win some games. We don't need to uh, rope them into <laughs> anything else. Um, and then we will do CFP picks, and we'll just have it on the record for when we are inevitably incredibly wrong. So um, sure. take it away. You want to start with Power 5? Uh, no, let's start with G5 and then go into okay. the Power 5. Is that there okay with you? Sure. I'll just go alphabetical. I'm, listen, I'm a Cincinnati stand, baby. Let's go. That Black Cat defense and Desmond Ritter, who you got in the, in the American? Oh, same, same. Cincinnati. They've got two really interesting non-conference games. Part of the reason yes. I hope Indiana comes out of this weekend unscathed is so that is a big game. Um, yeah. And then they've got Notre Dame. So the, the schedule is going to be fascinating. So I, I hope they they live it up, live up to it. I mean, so many of those good players came back for this season. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I am 100% with you on Cincinnati. All right, Conference USA, I am going with Marshall. I mean, there's some transition in this league. I'm going with Marshall. I really like um, – I'm excited to watch Owen Porter replace Darius Hodge. And then, obviously, they got Grant Wells at the quarterback spot, and they have some weapons there. So, I'm excited to watch what they're able to do. Okay, I'll, I'll differ from you just uh, uh, to play devil's advocate. <laughs> I'll take FAU and Willie Tech nice. through. So They're going to be explosive, I think. Yeah. I think, U, I think UAB could be a player there, too. UAB so. could, could get in the mix. That, that league's definitely more open, I think, than, than others. Yes. And then um, what else do we got? We got, um, I'm going to go, I'm going to, you know what? I'm going Ohio. This is the league I feel the least confident about, but I am going to go Ohio in the MAC. Largely because I think that the Rourke kid, is it his, is it actually his brother or they just have the same last name? No clue. Right. I'm going with Ohio. Okay. um, I'm going to take Toledo. I feel like it's been a minute since, uh, since Jason Candle's team has been, you know, as good as, as we think. Sure. Um, this is somebody in the coaching circles people think really highly of. So I and, and Toledo is a has been a launching pad for a lot of coaches Absolutely. in their careers. So it's just weird that they haven't been in the mix in the way that we we expect them to be. So that's just a bounce back thing. Boom! I'm gonna go. So Mountain West. This one is actually really hard for me because there are, Who are three teams. 
I, listen, obviously, Boise State feels like the easy answer for most people. Yep. It's probably the only team that most people watch consistently. Fresno State getting Ronnie Rivers into the passing game a week ago is exciting for me, and I want to see what they do against Oregon. I'm excited for Ronnie Rivers. I want him to have 1,000 yards this year in a big way because he was so close two seasons ago where he had like 889 yards. I love Ronnie Rivers. And if they found a way to get him into the passing game, it's kind of – they actually used him very similar to the way that Clemson used Travis Etienne a season ago, and I'm excited about that. But I also love Nick Starkle in San Jose I, State. Well, that's where That's where I feel like my heart is coming. Again – we're a little biased because we did see these teams play a little bit, yeah. right? So yes. we're kind of pulling from that. But Nick Starkle, A, still being in college football, yeah. but B, having this like third act of the success mm-hmm. at, at San Jose State. I also love that. I also, for as many of these picks we're going to make are people who usually win their leagues, I, I kind of want to take San Jose State just to not take Boise, even if they're yeah. the most likely to win it. Um so, yeah. yeah, I feel I feel that uh, the sentimental pick. Yeah, I, I mean, Derek Deese is Derek Deese is really good at the tight end spot. That Nevin kid playing running back was an absolute hoss. And I get it, it was Southern Utah, but, like, still. And then also, by the way, Nevada and Carson Strong are yeah. their team that a lot of people are in love with. But you know what? Yeah, you know what? Listen to your heart. I'm going San Jose State. Let's do it. Okay? okay. We're all We're, in. We're all in. I'm all, I'm all in on San uh, – and then the Sun Belt – Coastal feels easy. Uh, obviously, Louisiana is also ranked. But you know what? I don't very often get a chance to pick from a conference championship standpoint. I don't get to pick a team from my own home state. And so I am going with the Appalachian State Mountaineers. I'm taking Coastal. Yeah, I mean, that makes sense. It's a smart pick. This is 100% rooted in. Yeah. I don't get to pick teams from my home state very often, and I am like, this if is I, why. This is why when the Mayo Bowl people sent everyone the Mayo, yeah, that you didn't get the Clemson Georgia Mayo. I did not get the Clemson Georgia Mayo. I got Appalachian State and ECU Mayo because the, look, if I could have picked ECU to win the American, I would have picked them, and my See? dad would have been my my both of my parents went to ECU. Like, yes, of course. So I'm gonna go, I'm picking Appalachian State. I think they're gonna get the job done. I'm excited for them. I'm just I'm doing it. I'm, I'm I gotta pick. I gotta listen. Shout out to Dukes. I gotta throw something North Carolina in the mix. Okay, no, so what, I I got you. I got you. All right. Um, so we've got so a- ACC. I mean Clemson. I mean that's yeah. You don't want it. There's another North Carolina opportunity for you. No, absolutely not. No. Okay. No. Are you going to pick North Carolina? No. No. Same. Okay. Okay. Clemson is now Clemson is now in the category for me. Where there were a lot of years where I would have been picking Georgia this year mm-hmm. in my preseason picks because you know they, they have to do it like this is if not now sure, when? they do like, they do have is, to do it yeah and at some point they're going to so might as well try to get it right and you know if JT Daniels throws the ball blah 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 all these things then I realized just go with Alabama until they prove otherwise like until yeah. somebody actually dethrones them you just pick. and so Clemson same boat. Um, yeah. So, so yeah, Clemson, Read, Alabama, both. Reading, reading, in. reading Grace's article about the projected depth chart and seeing Xavier Thomas on there, that like warmed my heart. Like, mm-hmm. and I didn't realize that he and Justin Foster both lost thirty pounds each. That's crazy. So, yeah, Clemson is mine as well. Uh, Big Twelve. I'm gonna go <sighs> Iowa State there. That's one You're, where okay. I am gonna. I am gonna zig a little bit, trying to trying to zag. Um, I just love what Matt Campbell does. I love I, I just love the way he builds. Um, I think you know, quarterback, running back, tight end, they're among the best in the country. Yeah, linebacker. They don't make mistakes. Safety. I, yeah. I, they've got Ainsworth. They've got Mike Rose. They've got that ability. I'm picking Oklahoma still. I mean, they are, with the exception of LSU two years ago and Alabama a season ago. And here's the thing. We're talking about a season ago or two seasons ago. Like, we're talking about individual moments. Oklahoma, over the course of the last 2016 until now, has been the most consistent point-scoring team in the, in the Power Five. Right. And I'm just going to – I'm betting on points. I think this is – and as much as I hate the points and I hate the scoring and I love defense, I think that they have a defense that's going to allow them to win – but they're always going to score points. And I think that ability to score points is going to be interesting. Obviously, Marvin Mims is a 
budding superstar. He's like, what, Hollywood 2.0. And then you throw in Theo Weiss and Jaden Hazelwood and all these other pieces. Austin Stogner, who doesn't get mentioned nearly enough. So that's going to be fun. So we'll, we'll watch that. I'm going Oklahoma. You're going Iowa State. It's okay. Like, that's good. I think it's good. I think it's good to have that. I'm excited to see what um, Gary Bohannon does at um, Baylor because I think that's going to be an interesting mix, especially as he kind of clawed his way out of out of being the backup when Zeno had a bad spring game. So that's going to be interesting. Big 10. Uh, can we not pick Ohio State? We, Is there... ha- we have to. Yeah. It's yeah, Ohio just, State. I mean, there's just – there's no re- – even even with a quarterback – which, by the way, I'm glad we can stop after this weekend. We can stop talking about how their starting quarterback has never thrown a pass in college football. Right. Uh, yeah. Just it's just the next guy. I mean, they're in, they're in that boat. So, yeah, Ohio State. Ohio State. Um, who you yeah. got in the Pac-12? Pac-12. This one is, I kind of, hey, it's less about picking favorites to, you know what? Let's get wild. I'm going to pick Utah. Is that that wild? Charlie Brewer in the mix. They got, they, they, their defensive line is stout. I mean, it, you don't think that's wild? Well, I'm just saying, like, they've been in yeah. the Pac-12 race in recent years. I just – I want to pick I – want, I want Oregon to go to the playoff this year. Yeah. That's what I want. I want them to go to the playoff. The problem is I don't know what this marriage between Anthony Brown and Mario Cristobal and the Oregon offense looks like. Yeah. Well, I think, I'll, I'll take I, Oregon. Okay. So you can feel less guilt because I also think Oregon needs to be in the playoff conversation as well. But I'm with you. I watched a lot of Anthony Brown at Boston College. Yeah. And, you know, so it's like he was the same player his whole career there. Right. You know, the good, the bad, and then the injuries. So I I don't know what that – I don't know what that looks like either. But That's the big thing is the injuries. I'll have some faith there. I'll take them. The injuries were the big thing because just like – I mean, they're a different. They BC was a completely different football team when he was totally in the game. Mm-hmm. So yeah, if he can stay healthy, but I'm going to go with Utah. I'm going to go with Charlie Brewer. I'm going to go with Kyle Whittingham. I think that this is a team that just for me, I think they've got an opportunity. Like they play, they play this, and I, you know, I love this. They play this angry, mean brand of football, where they just they hit you and they make it hurt for you, and it's not. It's not fun to play against Utah. It's not embarrassing like it can be with like USC where they're like like just dunking on you, throwing these super long passes down the field. But no, Utah's just like, hey man, every play the goal is to make your body hurt a little bit more. And I think that there's real value in that. So yeah, that's that's a twisted look inside my brain and how I look at football. Um, all right, SEC. Alabama. Alabama. Yeah, I mean... Do we think Georgia's going to go to the SEC championship game? I think so, yeah. I think Florida. Okay. Because. Unless, I mean, again, if, if Clemson, it depends how this Clemson-Georgia game goes. That's going to that's gonna change the way I feel about Georgia. If it's a close game, if we think we're that they belong on the field with Clemson. Sure. Then sure, then I'll be all in for the season. They beat Clemson, obviously, all in. Sure. Um, but it's, you know, it's obviously they've got some injuries, you know, we've got some questions on, you know, yeah. how open the offense will be. So we got to see, we got to see, but I think, I think that's fair. You could fair to say, you know, Florida could get there, get back and there. It's, I think the big, and the big thing for me with Florida has honestly nothing to do with Georgia. It's not me not having confidence in them or not believing that they're going to do this or do that. It's reading and kind of listening to the way that Mullen has been talking of late it feels like he's like he has this like there's a level of excitement coming out of Gainesville that like you're you're supposed to be a, when you're a coach you're supposed to play kind of close to the vest right and yeah. he just he seems super hype about Emory okay and that hypeness like it, I'm hype about Emory Emory's another guy that I followed for a long time and I know his quarterback's coach Quincy and I like what and like it's it all like I wish they would have had some of these offensive pieces from a year ago. Pitts, Tony, Grimes. If they had those pieces this year, it's a no-brainer. I'm picking Florida to win the to win at least the East. 
So they got to get some other guys up to speed. I didn't even realize Rick Wells is still playing football at Florida. Oh, my goodness. And obviously, Shorter has gone from Penn State. To, did he go to Oregon and then Florida? Like, he's gone. Shorter's been all over the place. But Emory Jones, he's got two senior running backs behind him, which is going to be great. And they got DeMarcus Bowman, the transfer from Clemson. And Emory, it feels like this is like Dan Mullen's like, I finally get to do my stuff. I made it work with Kyle Trask. But now I get to do my stuff. All right, so I'm give, me your, give me your playoff four teams. Playoff four. I mean, this is easy. Bama, Clemson, Oklahoma, Ohio State. That's easy. Like, it's all chalk. It's yeah, all chalk. See, so I didn't want to do that. That's why I talked myself into Iowa State. So sure. Bama, Clemson, Ohio State, Iowa State. Iowa State in the playoff, too. Mm-hmm. Bama, Clemson, Oregon, Iowa State. Oh, I love it. Yep, it's the only way. Again, I've talked myself out of picking an SEC dark horse. Sure. Clemson is now in that category. Too many question marks in the Big Ten. I love it. So I'm all in on Matt Campbell. And you know what? I did a story on them in the spring. They overhauled their off-season conditioning program. Sure. To take it last. Less. And they said because of COVID, because of the you know the, the everyone's home, and then there was that whole like resocialization process they felt like they had never been fresher yeah right? they well that's the, that's the big thing for them I think about this with Iowa State I think about it sometimes with Oregon I obviously think about it with Utah as well schools that don't have backups that would start other places a lot of times the depth is a real issue I think about hell I think about it sometimes with Clemson with like with Nolan Turner who's kind of feels seems like he's kind of day-to-day at this point although he has practiced this week like over the course of a game, things happen, and he, you get your body gets worn down. And if you can minimize that hitting, and you're fresher later, and not just later in the game, like going into the fourth quarter, yeah, but you're also exactly you're fresher at the end of the season, and you have an ability. That's I mean, that's here's the reality. And I think about it the same way. Listen, it's the same as HGH or steroids, right? Where the it's not just that they make you stronger because you still have to do the workouts, you still have to lift. It's about the recovery time in between. And that's something that a lot of Appalachian State, like I had friends that played football at Appalachian State and friends that went to Appalachian State. And the difference for them when they were at an, as, a, as an FCS team, yes, one game they could rise up and they could beat Michigan, obviously. But then they felt the issues the next week and the week after and the week after and their bodies were broken down. And I think it's the same thing for someone like Iowa State where you have to find a way to have your bodies last over the course of the season. And that's not as big of an issue at Alabama or at Georgia or at Ohio State. But it is a small little piece where you have to consistently think about that because the Iowa State team that we saw play Oklahoma in the season was not the same team that we saw play at the end of the year in the Big 12 championship game. And a little bit of that is that wear and tear. It's also why we see teams, whether it's like, what, Kansas State? They have this, like, their roster is kind of like a straight line, interchangeable pieces. And it's not so much a drop-off at the end of the year as it is, like, this is just the speed that we go at. And to elevate it, you've got to do more. So it's going to be interesting to see. Again, we talked. We started the show talking about the elevator up, but I think at the end of the day, it's about these teams being able to elevate in big moments so that they can, whether it's stealing an upset or – if you're not having your A game in your Alabama or your Clemson to be able to call on something that helps you lift yourself up. And I think conditioning is a big part of that. Before we go, we will do our last calls, which for anyone who's new to the podcast is a rant or a rave, something you would cheers to last call at a bar somewhere. Um, And Felder, I will let you have the honors going first. Yeah. I listen, I'm going to, I'm going to rave. They called illegal blocking down the field a couple I times. Was, I knew this is where we were going. They called, so illegal, <laughs> they called illegal blocking down the field a couple times on pick plays on Saturday. They called um, illegal man down the field for offensive linemen that were getting too far. They called offensive pass interference a couple other instances. Uh, for those of you that are new to the show, I did play defensive back at UNC. I was not good. And by played, I mean I practiced a ton. And it is criminal to me how – Often they bail offenses out. Bad throws are bailed out by defensive pass interferences. It's criminal to me how little they call the push off. And they did both. 
this weekend. And I hope that's setting a trend for the season because I do want to see more wide receivers get flagged for pushing off the defensive back. That's not a spectacular catch. It's a penalty. Call the flag on them. I do want offensive linemen on RPOs to be called for blocking someone, blocking a linebacker five yards down the field. I want to see that. And I think, do you think this is the week? Because this, obviously, most recently, we didn't see any overtime games. Is this a chance where we get to see the new overtime rules go into play? Yeah, we got 80-something games or whatever. Yeah, yeah. we'll get one. So we'll yeah. get one. I mean, I'm interested in that, too, because that'll get things done quicker. Let's go. Uh, so <laughs> I feel like that was more of a rant than a rave. but I was happy. That I was know. me being happy. I know, but you're also mad that things don't get called. So it's both things. Um, I am going to dedicate my last call to a game that is months away from now. But I've been thinking about this. I've been thinking about how awkward conference realignment has been in the past and how hurt and spiteful and upset everyone still is in the Big 12. So, I mean, I'm excited for all of the Big 12 games that we are going to get this year. Especially the ones that feature Oklahoma not playing Texas but playing anybody else. Exactly. (laughs) So I just looked this up because I was curious. And the Bedlam game is November 27th. This is something that's been on my mind. I think that it is going to be like, I'm circling it. I'm highlighting it. It's like, I want to pull it out of the calendar. There are going to be some fireworks at some of these games in the Big 12 Conference this year. We don't know how long they're actually going to be able to force Texas and Oklahoma to stay in this league, but we do know they got to get through this season. And it is going to be uncomfortable. Yeah. It is going to be a lot of hate, great signs, great fans. And it's I just at Oklahoma wait. State. It's at Oklahoma State. I've been thinking about these games and when we start conference play in that conference for a while now, and I just cannot imagine what those games are going to be like. Because when there's been that awkward year or two before teams leave conference, like we've had awkward moments before, but you still had like – when it was like Georgetown and Syracuse, they were still going to schedule each other to play. Like there's still like feelings between these people. Th- yeah. This is not that. And I am just already getting excited about the Big 12 conference yeah. slate. Yeah, it's going to be a nightmare. It's going to be it's it's going to be brutal. It's, it's they, like it's and especially at Oklahoma State, the only stadium that lets you bring in paddles. It is going to be something. So really, really early last call dedicated to Bedlam and just all of the chaos that's about to unfold in the Big 12 Conference this season. And that'll do it for this episode of Power Hour. Thank you for listening. If you are not already an Athletic subscriber, you can sign up at theathletic.com slash Nicole. Andy Staples and Ari Wasserman will be back on this feed later this week to break down a wild story in high school football. And we will be back next Tuesday for the next episode of Power Hour. For Michael Felder, I'm Nicole Auerbach, and thanks for listening. 